Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Julian DeStoot with you on this Friday morning. Hope you've got a big weekend planned. Uh, plenty of great sport on and... Uh, you might be a bit tired this morning, but admit it, let's be honest. Most of you would have done what myself did and a lot of people did. You would have gone to bed after Thanasi Kokonakis led two sets to love last night. Think you have a good sleep, get up. Thanasi's through uh, to the third round, but uh, it wasn't to be. But before we go back to last night, let's go back four years. This was Andy Murray battling a serious hip injury on the eve of the 2019 Australian Open. Um, yeah, not not great. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so not not feeling good. Um, yeah, obviously been struggling for a, a long time. Um, I've been in in a lot of pain um, for. Well, it's been probably about 20 months now. Still in a lot of pain. Um, and yeah, it's been um, it's been tough. The the, the pain is is um, you know is, is is too much really. And yeah, it's not something that I want to. You know, I don't I don't want to continue playing that way you know I spoke to my team and I, and I told them that you know I, I, I can't you know I can't keep doing this Andy does that mean that uh, this might be a last <laughs> um, yeah I think I think there's, there's there's a chance of that yeah for sure um, yeah there's a chance of that for sure because that was four years ago. So a couple of days later, he stepped on the court and lost to five sets to Spaniard Roberto Batista Agu in what could have been his last match. Ironically, four years on, he will play that man again for a spot in the last 16 of the Australian Open. To get to the last 32, he was still on court after four o'clock this morning. A couple of hours earlier, his tournament looked over as we said, when Thadasi Kokonakis was serving for the match in the third set. But Murray and his titanium hip just don't know when to quit. He's had some memorable wins throughout his entire career, has Andy Murray, but I'm not sure there'll be a more memorable early round win than this one. After everything that Murray has been through the last five or six years. And remember, on the back of... Coming back from match point down in the first round against Matteo Berrettini. Murray is still the master. Simply beyond belief. Murray comes back and he wins 4 6, 6 7, 7 6, 6 3, 7 5. 
remember the other day you mentioned a stat before the <laughs> after my match the other day. Um, but I think now I'm outright the most matches coming back from two sets to love down. So I have done it um, before. I have experience of it. And yeah, I just rely on that experience and that drive and that fight and my love of the game and competing and my respect for this event and the competition and that's why I kept going. Uh, I'm expecting a few tears from that young fellow, Tanasi Kokonakis as well, because he left it all out there. He played unbelievable tennis and was so close to victory and I'm sure his team will be able to spin a thousand positives from what he just showed here tonight and he set himself a, a good platform going forward in 2023 but what words can you say about this guy when everybody talks about why is he still putting himself through it why is he training this way why is he pushing his body to the limit this is why the moments like this Great performance, young man. You should be damn proud of yourself. And the defeated Aussie took to Twitter at 4.28am saying simply, this effing sport man, which sums it up pretty well. Similar reaction for Alexi Popper and some nine hours earlier on John Kane Arena when he pulled off the biggest win of his career against number eight seed Taylor Fritz. Popperin, he's done it. He explodes into the third round. A marathon performance from the 113 has defeated the 8C. Listen to the crowd. My goodness, Alexi. This this win means so much to me. I had the toughest year last year. Um, didn't win many matches. I've won as many matches this year as I won the whole of last year. Um, so, and it's only January. So. And I was talking to you, some of your team, and we know the type of pre-season that you put in. How much of that paid off today? Four hours of 26 minutes in the previous match. Today, four hours and two minutes. How much did that pre-season just give you the belief today that you could win that match? Uh, pre-season, I put my head down. I worked as hard as I possibly could. I don't want that feeling that I had last year ever again. And that, that, that I wrote down to myself in my head. And, and um, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to try and keep going all the way, man. I love this feeling. And I want more of this feeling. I want you guys to have this feeling more. Man, I love you guys so much. Thank you. So as we said, the venue was John Kane Arena. So long the domain of Nick Kyrgios, but it also inspired Alex Dimonor in a tough four-set win over crafty Frenchman Adrian Manorino. Alex, I, I just want to get your immediate reaction to the last set and a half and the wave you've been riding with this crowd here in John Kane Arena. I mean, let's go! Jeez, I enjoyed every second of it. It was a battle, but I wouldn't have been able to do it without you guys. You guys gave me energy. I was on cloud nine for a whole set and a half, and that's all you guys. So 
Let's keep this wave going. Thank you, guys. Let's keep it going. Uh, you may not know this, but I'm going to tell you, your next opponent is another Frenchman. Benjamin Bonzi has won a fifth set tiebreak, and that's who you'll face next. Thoughts on playing him in the third round? I've had a couple battles with him. Uh, I think it's going to be a, an incredibly tough match, a lot of long rallies, but hey, if I've got you guys by my side, I'm sure we can, we can get it going. So uh, I'm going to recover, and you better believe I'm going to bring the energy come two days. So I hope to see you all out there. So Demonor and Popper remain our local hopes, but if it's not to be, are your team Andy Murray? A five-time losing finalist at Melbourne Park and a man that hasn't always been everyone's cup of tea. Surly, uh, yelling at his uh, player's box uh, regularly, but given what he's done with his body, the fact that four years ago he was done, pretty much thinking he was done in the sport, has he won you over? So that is the question this morning. Also, I asked you a question about the scheduling, but uh, he's, he's got a bit of a sense of humour too, uh, Andy Murray. This was... Uh, him post-match with John Fitzgerald. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable that I managed to, to turn that round. Tanasi was playing, I mean, serving unbelievable, hitting his forehand huge, and I don't know how I managed to, to get through it. I did, I did start playing better as the match went on. Um, and yeah, I have a big heart. <laughs> Well, Andy, if I may say, you have big everything, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure my wife would agree. <laughs> well, we all can work a little bit blue after four o'clock in the morning. I think that's fair enough. So this is a captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. Give us a call, 1300 736 736. Send us through a 40 Winks temper, 0433 16 Temper, a mattress like no other. So one, are your team Andy Murray if one of the Aussies uh, can't go all the way, Alexi Popper or Alex Demonor? And the scheduling, it was strange scheduling last night where probably the three marquee matches were almost could have been uh, up against each other. You got Novak Djokovic and then you got the two Australians uh, in action as well. Should they get to a point at a certain stage of the early morning where you say, this is just too late. We come back tomorrow. Or is it part of the theater of the Australian open? These matches only go to three or four o'clock. If they're classics, they're not three setters. They're five setters that uh, we all remember. You know, Leighton Hewitt, Marcus Bagdadis years ago went to about four o'clock in the morning. So is it ridiculous or is it part of the theatre? It happens every now and then and they're matches that we remember. Give us a call, one 736 736 Dom from Burwood's jumped on the line, wants to talk about the tennis. Go, Dom. Yeah, a cu- couple of quick points. I think they should start the, the matches early, not 11 o'clock at 10 o'clock, because the issue is when the late matches run over, and the um, the games at night get pressed out. Also, the start of game at night at what eight thirty and nine o'clock is crazy. But the other thing, I think the players are being vindicated. Remember before the tennis started, they were saying the balls fluff up, mm. and there's going to be really really long rallies. I think there was one game the other day. There was seventy shots. There was. That's and right. Think, and I think that's had an impact. That the, the, the rallies are just too long because the balls become too slow. It's a fair point, Dom, and uh, we've heard plenty of the players uh, talk about that. It was a concern before the tournament, and we've heard some of the big names uh, discuss it during the tournament. I mean, the hard thing with with tennis scheduling is you can't lock in a start time because you are dictated to by the matches that uh, happened before. You throw in the fact there was, you know, 
rain and there was heat and there was more rain means that it was a pretty condensed schedule the last uh, couple of days. So that, that 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 can make it tough. I just thought the overall scheduling was a little bit strange uh, last night. You don't really, as a broadcaster in particular, you don't want your, your marquee matches uh, going up against each other. Dom, thanks for your call. Let's get to Lynn in Dramana. G'day, Lynn. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, if an Australian can't win the Australian Open, I would like nothing better than Andy Murray to win it. Have you always liked Andy or have you grown to, to love Andy, Lynn? Uh, I've grown to like him. I've got nothing for admiration for him for what he's been through with his hip and everything and coming back to be able to play the standard of tennis that he is playing. Um, and I'd like to see him go a long way. Yeah, I've always liked him, but uh, I admire him more after what he's done since his hip. Yeah, I think we all do, uh, Lynn. Thanks for, for your call. He's one of those players. If he was born in another era, so he's won three Grand Slams, two Wimbledons, one US Open, five-time losing finalist at the Australian Open. He would probably be double-figure Grand Slam winner if he was born in a different era, not up against arguably the three greatest male players uh, the sport has uh, ever seen. Let's get to Billy in Ascot Vale. He wants to share his thoughts on the tennis as well. Hey, okay, Billy. Yeah, morning, Jill. Yeah, I think they should call Andy Braveheart, not Big Heart. William Wallace. Uh, been from Scotland. Yes. <laughs> and uh, just quickly, um, I didn't actually see the whole match, but did... I don't think many people did. <laughs> did. Did Kokonakis choke, or did Andy actually like play well enough to beat him? Um, the... Hey, Billy, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see the whole match uh, either. So, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, he was serving for the match uh, in the third set, so... I don't think that's a choke, but it's certainly a big opportunity. And we see it's 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 often tough to serve out a match. And uh, no, I don't think he choked. I think it's just typical Andy Murray from what I've read. He just hung in, hung in, and hung in. And he's got this confidence that if a match uh, goes five sets, uh, that he can get uh, the job done. Now, how he can back up again after two five-setters uh, is going to be uh, very interesting. So the match had it all. You know, there was a blow-up between Tanasi Kokonakis and the umpire, you know, Murray was getting frustrated at times, uh, as he does. And uh, also, there's a bit of drama when he wanted to go to the toilet. Yeah, look, I understand, obviously, the the rules on, on, on the tour with the toilet breaks and the bathroom breaks and I've obviously been very vocal about that but you know it's three and three in the morning uh, you know I've been drinking all, all day I need to go to the toilet and you know it's just yeah it's obviously frustrating in, in that moment um, I understand it because you don't want people taking advantage of the rules but you know when you're sticking players on the court three four in the morning then you know, sometimes it needs to be a little bit of leeway. So that was off the back of the uh, bathroom issue. He also weighed in on the match finishing so late. Well, I mean, yeah, the match was obviously very up and down. I mean, there was frustration in there. There was tension. There was excitement and all of that stuff. Um, And then at the end... Yeah, I mean, look, it's obviously amazing to win to win the match, but I also I want to go to bed now. I'm like, you know, it's great, you know, great, but I want I want to sleep. Last one. Does tennis need to change this business of playing at three, four in the morning? Yeah, because it doesn't. I don't know who it's beneficial for. It's like a match like that. You know, 
yeah, we come here after the match and that's what the discussion is. And rather than it being like epic Murray Kokonakis match, it's like, you know, it ends in a bit of a, you know, a bit of a farce. And no, you know, amazingly people stayed until the end and I, I really appreciate people doing that and creating an atmosphere for us at the end. I really appreciate that. And some people obviously need to work the following day and everything. But like, if my child was a ball kid, you know, for a tournament and, you know, they're coming home at five in the morning as a parent I'm snapping at that like it's not it's not beneficial for them it's not beneficial for the umpires the officials I don't think it's amazing for the fans it's not good for the players so yeah we talk about it all the time it's been spoken about for years but you know when you start the night matches late um, and have conditions like that these things are going to happen so that was Andy Murray's thoughts. Mark Woodford's going to join us after 10 on Amber Cafe menu. I'll just ask his thoughts. And, and what is the solution? Is there a cutoff for how late a match can start? Do you get to a certain time in a match and you say, we're going to come back tomorrow? Uh, how would that work with scheduling? Do we need to start the play earlier? 11 a.m.? Is that too late? Um, so there's a whole heap of issues uh, to get through. We'll talk through that uh, with Mark Woodford, also on Amber Cafe menu today. Uh, Brandon Rabber from... Uh, Okay, C, he's a reporter over there. Going to talk about Josh Giddy's form, the Thunders' form. They're charged into playoff contention. Some are saying Josh Giddy uh, should be an all-star. He's going to join us. Mark Woodford, as we mentioned. Steve Quick uh, is going to give us some predictions for the tennis, the basketball with United CEO Nick Trulson. And we'll finish some, with some footy, Josh Gabalich. Speaking of footy, uh, some breaking news. Great news this uh, Liam Stocker is officially a saint for 2023. So, so many injuries at Carlton. Uh, He's spoken about uh, his mental health challenges as well, but he's signed on with the club via the pre-season supplemental supplemental selection period. It's called the SSP. It's uh, far easier. So Josh Gablich will explain that to us uh, a little bit later in the show. So much to get through this morning. Let's get a breakaway. Uh, plenty of coming through on the 40 Winks temper about Andy Murray and the late finish to the tennis. You can send them through 0433 98 11 16. Temper, a mattress like no other. Or give us a call 1300 736 736. Also touch on Novak Djokovic after the break. Form not a problem. A couple of things bothering him at the moment. We'll go through that after the break on the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. Mornings on SEN. Uh, my situation with my injury is not ideal. I I'm, I'm, you know, obviously don't want to go do, too deep into that, but uh, I wish that some things were different uh, with the way I feel with my leg, but it is what it is. And I have to take it day by day. Good thing that uh, we have in Grand Slams is always a day off between the matches, so at least you have some time to try to um, recover and get ready for the next match. So that's what I'm going to do. I am not practicing basically on the days between because I'm trying to give myself the more time possible for for my leg to be in, in somewhat of a ideal state for performance on, on a high level. So four-set win for Novak Djokovic uh, last night. He's through to play Grigor Dimitrov, the number 27 seed tomorrow, potentially then on course for a round of 16 match with Alex Dimonor if he gets through his next one. So hamstring's an issue. Uh, we spoke about that there. He won last night. But the big story, and 
drunken spectators are becoming a bit of a problem at this Australian Open. Uh, Cam Norrie, uh, the British star, copped it uh, two nights ago on uh, one of the outside courts, uh, late at night, sort of uh, in the early hours of the morning. There were some drunk spectators saying some not overly friendly things. He didn't like it. He went to the umpire and it happened again uh, last night, and we know before the tournament, Craig Tiley uh, warned people not to abuse uh, Novak Djokovic. Uh, there would be repercussions if they did. Uh, but Novak, fair to say, got sick of a spectator continually having a go at him, and this is how it unfolded. You know who it is? The guy's drunk out of his mind. From the first point, he's been provoking. Provoking. He's not here to watch tennis. He just wants, he just wants to get in my head. So I'm asking you, what are you going to do about it? You heard him at least 10 times. I heard him 50 times. What are you going to do about it? Get him out of the stadium. Right. You know, and from the very beginning, guys that were under influence of alcohol, as was obvious, were, and I was grabbing my towel very close to them, and particularly one guy that, you know, you heard his voice various times tonight, was, you know, insulting me and provoking me and saying things that were not respectful at all. I tolerated for over one and a half hour, almost two hours. And then after, and I was giving signs to the chair umpire, looking at the chair umpire, looking at the guy. And I think the chair umpire supervisor, whoever is responsible for handling the crowd should have done a bit more and anticipated me coming out to the chair umpire and looking, uh, looking like a bad guy, because this is, this is how I'm gonna look like now in the media. And 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 in in the public because I'm the guy that kicked out some other guy, you know. It's it's just unnecessary, we, because, you know, why should we as players be put in a position where we have to always react when it's it's been two hours, it's not been ten minutes, you know. This is what I mind, and this is why I felt the need to go out there because I had enough, you know. I, I can tolerate five six times somebody telling me something, but then there is a limit, you know. Uh, and, and that limit was crossed, and then I, I stepped in and I asked the champire, I mean, is he going to do something about it or not? And he did, and I thanked him. But I just feel like it's unnecessary for me or any other player to be put in this position after a long time that match is already going, or, or uh, duration of the match has already been two hours. It's plenty of time for supervisor, champire, whoever is responsible to react before a player. I think he's got a fair point there, Novak Djokovic. I mean, if everyone's hearing it, uh, including the umpire or the match referee, surely they should step in before the player has to complain. I think that's a, I think that's a fair call. Strange crowds, tennis crowds, they do some strange things. Uh, we saw it at Wimbledon last year with Nick Kyrgios. We've seen it before in Australia. Um, I just don't understand why people go to the uh, go to sporting events just to heckle. So I think he's got a fair point uh, there, Novak Djokovic. Uh, let's get to the news. There's some other. Been a great sport the last uh, 12, 24 hours. Um, we'll go through some of that and also read some of your 40 Winks uh, tempers about Andy Murray and the late finish to the tennis. But here's Anna Pavlou in the newsroom. Welcome back to the show. Let's get stuck into the weekly review for Rover Mowers. Find your next mower at rover.com.au. So the biggest stories of the week, the five biggest stories, straight open, four days in, drama everywhere. And it started before the tournament when Nick Kyrgios withdrew. Yeah, uh, obviously extremely disappointed. Um, you know, I, I know you guys will all, all be wondering, you know, what's going on. So obviously I'm just exhausted from everything and, you know, obviously pretty brutal. Um, in one of the most important tournaments of my career. And so it hasn't been easy at all. 
So with that, Nick, we need a new hero in this tournament. Alex Demonor, probably the one we expected. He's through to the third round, as is Alexi Popperin after that upset over Taylor Fritz yesterday. Popperin right up on the baseline. He's going to have a crack. He gets the angle right. Fritz into the net with the backhand. Alexi Popperin, you have been outstanding. Take a bow. The best match I've seen Alexi Popperin play. What a battle. 6-7-7-6-6-4-6-7-6-2. In footy, plenty of injuries around, but certainly the big story this week concerns Taron Thomas at North Melbourne, charged by police with a single count of threatening to distribute an intimate image. Peter, the 22-year-old is facing a charge of threatening to distribute an intimate image. Now, this bombshell accusation is now in the hands of Victoria Police and the AFL's Integrity Unit. North Melbourne says it will counsel Thomas on behavioural expectations. The club has also revealed Thomas was pulled over by police while driving with a suspended licence during his Christmas break. It's a double blow for a young star earning upwards of $600,000 a season. And plenty of emotion on Wednesday when when arguably the most important figure in the history of the AFLW so far, Daisy Pearce announced her retirement. I'm still going to be an ambitious person, but I want to redirect some of that in, in other directions in my life, um, give a bit back to the family. I'm, I'm mindful to say that because I don't want it to sound like um, a family decision or that I'm, I blame's probably the wrong word, but that I'm not pinning it on the need to go and be a good mum because I feel like I've hopefully been able to do that anyway but um, and it's not all been sacrificed from their point like it's been hard work at times but it's been an incredible journey that um, Ben's enjoyed and the the kids have gotten so much out of as well but and in the NRL the pay stash is getting pretty heated Uh, media events have been cancelled there's a threat of a strike as well so they've been the five biggest stories According to us this week, thanks to Rover Mowers, is there any that we've missed? Uh, give us a call or send us through a temper text, 0433-981116. With any that we have missed, you agree, disagree, let us know. Upgrade to a Rover Mower with a long five-year warranty. Rover, a gardener's best friend. Welcome back to the Captain's Run on a beautiful, sunny Melbourne morning play to get underway at Melbourne Park in about an hour's time. Mark Woodford will join us uh, very shortly. BBL last night, just the one game. The Renegades only put up nine for 142 against the Thunder. Will Sutherland was best with the bat. 42 not out off 23 balls. The Thunder got there pretty comfortably in the end. Two for 144 with nine balls to spare. Uh, Matt Jilks, man of the match, 74 off 55. Alex Ross, 42 off 22. And David Warner, 26 off 23. But it could have been a different story. So the Renegades had a debutant. His name is Corey Roccicelli. Now, if his nickname isn't Roland, everyone at the Renegades needs to have a good, hard look at themselves. He got two wickets in over, including David Warner. Then Jilks, I reckon he was on about 29 at the time. Skyed one. It should have been three in and over. But as they say, catches win matches and drop catches lose matches. And Farwood Ahmad dropped an absolute dolly. And top edge, could be a third in the over. Oh, oh no. No way. Thawad Ahmed drops the catch, the undroppable catch. And he can't believe it. And what could have been three wickets is still a wonderful two, but 
It's about to say that is terrible batting. Yeah. And it was, but it's worse fielding. <laughs> He's well summed up there by Mark Wall. Uh, Jilk said after the match when he was uh, being interviewed as man of the match that he was already walking back to the pavilion. He thought he was definitely out. So uh, one that got away there for the Renegades. They remain on 12 points uh, with the Thunder in third position on the table. Two matches tonight. Strikers host the Scorchers and the Heat host the Hurricanes. So uh, big matches coming up. It's getting tight. Top two are broken away, but then it's really tight between five teams looking for the last three spots uh, in the finals for the BBL. Uh, As we said earlier in the first hour, Liam Stocker is now a saint. He's been uh, signed in the SSP. Now, he's on the run home uh, last year. I think it was about November. He was just about to start training with the Saints. There'd been some interest uh, from Essendon, and uh, he spoke about what he could bring to a new club if he got an opportunity. Um, well, I think that's the strength, really. Um, I've played as a forward, I've played as a midfielder, and I've played as a defender. Um, I think the notion that I'm not fit enough to play AFL football's rubbish. Um, I know I can run. Um, I ran a 6.32K in preseason, which is the equivalent mm. of what most other midfielders are running as well. So um, from that point of view, I, I think um, if that's my main weakness, I've, I've got that to a point where it's not as standout as what it used to be. But I think... Um, for the most part, my ability to, to lock down on players and beat them in a contest is is what stands out um, across the ground. I think being in a contest more often is probably what suits me. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm willing to play that lockdown role if it means I'm doing a job for the team. Um, I don't really mind. I think I'm an asset all yep. over the ground. Yep. Um, but also, I think I'm an asset off the field now. No doubt. Um, and, you know, clubs aren't going to pick you up just because you're an asset off the field. Yep. Um, it, it's a silly notion. Um, to think that, but I think for the most part, I'm I'm quite valuable for culture and and I'm quite valuable in terms of the roles I can play. That was on the run home in October with uh, Andy Maher and Josh Jenkins. Oh, a lot of Carlton fans were disappointed when he was delisted. Uh, Steve Silvani, the list manager that uh, recruited him, of course, famously traded away a first-round draft pick. Uh, did a trade with Adelaide to get Liam Stocker. I think it was in the first year that that actually could be done. So it was a bit of a test, really. Probably put a little bit more pressure on Liam Stocker. Now, he was on um, Trade Radio, and he he certainly believes there's plenty of good footy left in uh, Liam Stocker. Had a little bit of a clip at his former club in the process. He basically been there four years. I wouldn't think it had been a real stable environment in terms of the, the change that's, that's sort of happened um, there. They've, I think he's had th- three coaches in four years. Yeah, so. Yeah. So from a development point of view, I, I'd question that. You know, so as a club, I always felt when a player's on our way out, you have a checklist of have we done everything possible for this kid to play AFL footy? And that right there tells me I don't think you can tick that. So 28 games in four seasons. Interesting, Ross Lyon, Steve Silvani close. You would have think Ross Lyon would have picked uh, Steve Silvani's brain uh, about uh, Liam Stocker. But he gets his chance at the Saints What's his best position? He's played mainly halfback, recruited as a midfielder. But as you heard from Liam himself, uh, he believes that he can play in uh, any position on the ground. And he sort of dismissed those suggestions that his tank isn't good enough uh, for AFL footy. So Josh Gabalich, who broke that story this morning, will join us uh, later on in the show to talk uh, some footy and uh, that story in particular, and just what he's seen around the traps uh, this week, and also just an update on the SSP uh, situation. Who's still got to make some decisions? Uh, We know earlier in the week, Adelaide uh, signed uh, former Magpie uh, Tyler Brown. Of course, there's been a couple of serious, you know, concussion issues this week with um, 
Marcus Adams is unlikely to play uh, this season. And it's the same with Paul Seedsman over at Adelaide. And therefore, that's probably why Tyler Brown got on their list uh, so quickly. So uh, plenty of footy to come uh, with Josh Gavilich. We'll also talk some basketball with Nick Trulson. Uh, Brandon Rabar is uh, a journalist uh, covering the OKC. Um, they are flying at the moment, as is Josh Giddy. Uh, who could even be an all-star this year, according to some. Uh, that voting comes out in the next couple of days. And also Steve Quick will join us later this hour just to give us his thoughts on the tennis uh, last night and also just point us into maybe some winners uh, today. He did say a couple of days ago when we had him on that was a big danger match uh, for Petra Kvitova, and that turned out to be true. Uh, she was knocked out uh, in her second round match. And some of the big guns on the women's side in action today, including Igis Fiontek, uh, Jessica Pagula, and um, also Coco Goff. So three of the real favourites in the women's side uh, in action today. Mark Woodford, of course, he joins us again. Uh, SEN tennis commentator for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar. It's a pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Mark, good morning. And I know as a dedicated professional and a tennis lover, you would have seen it right through to the last point last night. Oh, let me just stretch as I'm yawning here in bed. <laughs> I, I wish I had made it to the fifth set, but I, I fell asleep uh, when it went to the beginning of the fifth. I, and it just, I, I mean, I was so tired, obviously, um, but... I woke up early this morning was uh, and saw the news that he that Kokonakis went down. Wow, amazing, huh? Woodbridge would have seen it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he probably had to commentate on it with the TV, but you know us radio people. <laughs> so let's start with uh, from Thanasi's point of view. We've had a few people, you know, say I didn't see the whole match. Um, you know, even I didn't even see the third set. I went to bed at the end of the second set thinking he was going to win. Was Murray just too good? Was there an element of tightening up from Thanasi? How did you sort of analyse what happened in that third set when he really had the the match on his own racket? Yeah, well, look, some, something obviously, you know, the momentum switch, you know, Thanasi to come out and take those first two sets and 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 dominate. I mean, he he could have won uh, both sets a little easier than what the scoreboard uh, ended up being. Um, but but there was a, a moment in that third set, it, it kind of switched around. And, and whether it's Andy Murray's body starting to, to awaken, um, you know, look at a, a tough turnaround time for Murray after that first round match. But, you know, whether Tanasi felt, you know, look, I, I mean, only Tanasi will be able to answer it. Uh, and at the moment, it is probably very raw. Uh, he, he's, you know, no doubt really ticked off. Uh, that he ended up uh, letting it slip through his hands. But it's at those moments, you've got to be able to, you know, get over the finishing line. You've got to cancel these guys out in three sets. But it did switch around. Murray's body might have loosened up. Uh, he made, there was one rally, I think he had to return four overheads uh, of Tanasi and ended up winning the point. And it's, it is moments like that, that a match, whether it's three sets or five sets, can turn it around, and and I think that might have instigated, uh, deflated Tanasi. It, it's it seems strange that it might have because he was still you know strongly in the lead, but um, I, I think it just started to chip away at him. And uh, you know once it got to that fifth set, that I, I kind of 
was like, oh, no, please. Mm. You, you know, but it, it, the signs were there um, that Murray was going to win that in the fifth set. So what about Andy Murray, Mark? I mean, we played the audio off the top of the show four years ago at the Australian Open before his first match. He was basically saying, this could be it. I'm in too yeah. much pain. I've tried everything. I can't keep going on like this. Four years later, he's still winning five-set matches in the second longest match in Australian Open history. I mean, it's phenomenal. It, it, it's breathtaking. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and look, the send-off. Remember the send-off that they gave That's him right. at the Australian Open? Yeah. I think there was video tributes, uh, players uh, out on the court waving goodbye. Um, and, and he's come back uh, uh, look, I, I don't. I think they maybe pulled the trigger too soon on on the farewell there. I don't think Andy had <laughs> necessarily made that announcement, but it was kind of you know it it, it went that way. Um, but you know, it's a look uh, resilience, patience. Uh, the the surgery that he had to undergo. Um, it does take a while to come back from. I saw him play in Adelaide two weeks ago, uh, it, the, the first match that he played against Sebastian Corda, um, and I thought it was a sorry sight myself. Um, and I actually was calling it on TV, so I, 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 I just felt, look, this is going to be a tough summer for Andy Murray. Uh, I, I feel like this is the farewell for him. He just didn't seem to be you know, moving as well. And doesn't it, doesn't it look painful when he walks? Yes, it does. I mean, it, it looks like that he's in agony. Um, but he says that he's fine. It's just developed that, that, that little role. And, uh, uh, but I, I just did not forecast, um, you know, the first round victory over Berrettini, uh, nor did I see him, you know, w- winning against uh, a Kokonakis. But there goes the, you know, proves the point. You can never discount the great champions. Can he go again? Like two five-set matches, and now he plays Roberto Batista Agu, who's a good player. I mean, how's he at 4 a.m. finish? Can he go again? Look, I, I, as I said, I, I, I did not think that he would beat Berrettini. <laughs> I did not, did not see his body rebounding to, to have enough in the um, energy bank to, to beat Tanasi. Uh, and you've just pointed it out. How does he respond? How does the body respond uh, after two five-set matches? He finishes at 4 a.m. Lord knows he's probably just climbing into bed now after all the uh, media, the treatment that no doubt he would have had to undergo. Um, I I have no idea, but I I tell you, the tournament organisers, better be kind to him. I mean, I think they did help him with, uh, you know, giving him as much time before Kokonakis. They're going to have to give him uh, the, the uh, you know, the best that they can uh, schedule in order for him to have a chance against Batista. We're talking to Mark Woodford, SEN tennis commentator. So whenever we have these finishes, you know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, it does generate a lot of debate. Is it ridiculous? Yeah. Is there an alternative? I mean, what are your thoughts? What is the alternative to make sure this doesn't happen or is there there not one with the, I guess, the fluky nature of um, Grand Slam tournaments with weather and scheduling and matches going longer than expected? Is there actually a way we can avoid these late finishes? I I think the only way to avoid it is is if the tournament gets together. Um, You know, they're one of four Grand Slams and so the, the quartet, the four of them obviously have, you know, ongoing meetings throughout the year. Um, and they, they, they address certain elements.
elements, areas that that might crop up, and I'm sure this um, particular you know scheduling concern will be tabled, and and the four leaders will will have a, a an internal discussion, and a, and maybe the outcome is they they decide. Um, you, you know that matches can't go on the court by you know mm. that maybe they have 11 p.m. cutoff. Yeah. Maybe there's a little earlier. Maybe they they say uh, you know we can't put matches that allow you to play past 1 a.m. because there there is that that health side player health which we know that there's been a lot of discussion over the last few years about the mental health of players and and how they recover and and still remain in the game. So you know it's a, it's a hot issue, but. Don't these matches, don't they create so much attention and drama? And it's it's like the the the, the lifeline of Grand Slam tennis. These uh, late finishes it adds so much drama to the tournament. And uh, you know, so there are two sides to it. But I, but I think they're probably I wouldn't be surprised a, a move towards you know just making certain parameters. You 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 can't put matches on uh, past a certain time. And uh, you know, if it gets to two a.m. You know, like the buzzer presses, and uh, you know, we'll see you guys come back tomorrow. Yeah, I think that that that's a pretty sensible suggestion. I reckon. I think that's the only way you can try and avoid. It. But as you say, I mean, that they're not dud matches. These ones that go to three or four, they're the ones that we no. actually remember down the track. If you think you know, sure. Leighton Hewitt, Marcus Bagdadis, uh, going back a long way. Just on Novak Djokovic last night, I, I, I feel like he had a decent point. A, about the spectator heckling him, B, afterwards when he said, why do I have to bring it up? If the umpire's yeah. hearing it and the match referee can hear it, why why am I the one that has to bring it up and look like the bad guys? He got a fair point there. Yeah, he, he, he does. And before I answer that, I will, if I can just revert back to the Murray match. You've got to remember also, back in Europe, it's a perfect time yeah, zone true. for the UK audiences. Mm. So all of Europe were up in the middle of the day uh, no doubt glued to the TV. So so there's the issue as well of, you know, do you balance it out? It might not be prime time here in Australia, but they're also, you, you know, you've got to be conscious of the audiences that are overseas. So, you know, that's uh, that's something that the Grand Slams will, will tend to, no doubt. But regarding the issue with Novak, yeah, look, I, I again, I was concerned. Uh, um, it's very difficult in our booth. If you saw our, the booth size that BP and <laughs> I are small. In, we've, we've got like five screens in there. We're trying to keep track of... You know, Popper and Deminar and, and Djokovic is on, and, and uh, you know, it's just uh, Benchich was was out on court as well. Um, so uh, we were keeping track on on Novak there, but he was not moving well, um, and and it was a bit of a surprise that he actually, you know, we we were unaware of perhaps the heckling um, that that had been uh, going on. But yes, what, why does it? You know, uh, uh, fall upon the the player if they're that vocal, um, and and I, I don't know exactly, you know, the the nature of it. But why wasn't the chair umpire perhaps, um, you know, turning around and specifically pinpointing, you, you know, the the individuals uh, in the crowd? As it was, it was quite hilarious because that half of the crowd on that stadium side, they all just started pointing and waving at those characters. And, and then when they, they were bidding them adieu as they were walking <laughs> out of the stadium. So, you know, it kind of made light of it in the end, but frustration for Djokovic. But I think that's more, you, you know, he has he, got to be concerned about uh, the hamstring uh, problem. And, uh, you, you know, look, he got, he got through, 
you know, in a flash in that fourth set. So, um, you, you know, I probably spent a bit of time on the table taking care of it because he's got a big match against Dimitrov ahead. Yeah, he's certainly concerned about it. And he said that afterwards. So with Novak under a cloud, uh, you know, no Alcaraz here. Uh, Rafa's yeah. out. Kasparud yeah. was defeated yesterday. Alex Verev was defeated yesterday. There's no Kyrgios. Right. Is there a chance here for a popper and or a demon or, or both to go I'd pretty deep it. in this tournament? Yeah, you're writing the perfect script for, for, for us here in Melbourne at the Australian Open. Um, uh, Popperin, I mean, what an effort yesterday to, to take out uh, Fritz. And, and Alex, you know, uber professional, you know, proved his fitness um, and, and patience in that match. I, I think Alex probably was a little surprised to hear that his next opponent wasn't going to be Pablo Carreño Busta, which would have been a nightmare of a match for him. But, you know, there, there is that section of the draw, not just for, for Alex, but as well for for, for Alexi. So, um, yeah, they can go deep. They've got, you know, different games. Um, one is very offensive. Uh, and when he's lighting it up, he is super dangerous, which is popper. And, but you've just got that stoic defense of uh, of the Minar. And, uh, you know, he, he can go a long way as well. But, Look, on one half of the draw, there is certainly going to be some surprise players in the latter stages of the tournament. But what an opportunity to uh, boost their careers. Absolutely. It's all set up uh, beautifully in some of the big names in the women's side uh, in action today. Mark, uh, thanks for getting out of your jammies and uh, taking our call. Now go and have a couple of ski double ups and get ready uh, for a big uh, day five down at Melbourne Park. I, 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 know I need a cupper as well to get me going, but uh, I, I appreciate the time. We'll speak again soon. Look forward to it, uh, Mark Woodford. He is a good sport and uh, a great analyst uh, of the game, and uh, we've enjoyed having his company a couple of times here uh, on Mornings and also the Captain's Run. That was for the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar, a pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT. This is the Captain's Run for State Transport. Our people are your solution. It's four-day sale time at Harris Scarf. Hot deals on a wide range of homewares and fashion. You won't believe this. Welcome back to the show. Good news for cricket fans. Big Bash Nation is back tonight. So head to the app to catch the Heat versus the Hurricanes. Big game, vital for both teams tonight with Jason Matthews and uh, the friendly quick Michael Kasperwitz from the Gabba. Coverage starts at 7pm Eastern. Head to the Cricket Australia or SEN app to listen in. Let's get back to the tennis. Uh, as he had um, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, Steve Quick from Ace Previews uh, joins us. Find better tennis odds at Betfair. No, he's not quite there yet, but we will in a sec- second. Uh, gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. He tipped us into a, a, a good upset on Wednesday. He said Petra Kvitova was a little bit vulnerable against Annalena Kalina, and he was right. She uh, won 7-5-6-4 as Steve joins us again from Ace Previews. G'day, Steve. G'day, how are we doing? Good. Well, just I was just pumping up your tyres saying on Wednesday you tipped us into the fact that uh, it was a danger match for Petra Kvitova and that turned out to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Petra played actually quite well, but Kalanina you know, was was able to to match that level that we've we've seen from her through the the course of the start of the season. So it was a terrific upset, and I'm I'm interested to see if she can do it again. I think here against uh, Barbara Barbara Krajcikova, uh, first up on court. Amazing match last night. Uh, so full disclosure, uh, did you see it to the death? Did you see Murray versus Kokonakis to the death? I I made a business decision to go to bed uh, <laughs> in the. I think it was at the end of the the third set. 
Um, but I have I've watched back little aspects of it. But a phenomenal effort, I think, from from Andy Murray to be able to come back in, in the way he did. And and I think credit to most of the crowd for sticking around as well. Absolutely. It's amazing how many people actually stuck around to that uh, time of the morning. Just from Thanasi's point of view, I mean, great match, you know, second longest in Australian Open history. But just given... The way this tournament's unfolding, you know, some big names are either under an injury cloud or they've already been knocked out. How big an opportunity lost is that for Thanasi Kokonakis to potentially go a little bit deeper in this Australian Open, even into the second week? Yeah, look, it is a massive opportunity that has has gone begging. I think when you look through, particularly that part of the draw, and as we saw yesterday, you know, Alexander Zverev, Kasper Ruud, um, Taylor Fritz, all, you know, they're on their way to the airport now. So it was a big opportunity. But you know, Andy Murray took it took advantage, I think, of that. And you know, the best players they see these opportunities and, and they take them. And Andy knew that he was still well in that match, down you know two sets to love and, and down a break, and, and found a way. And, and the best players do. But I think Tanasi now needs to use the performances across the the course of, of this January to actually then head away from Australia now and, and take on the tour and really work his way up the rankings uh, across the course of 2023. Let's just hope he can have an injury-free year and we might be able to see what he can do. We're talking to Steve Quick from Ace Previews. Uh, You can find better odds on the Australian Open at Betfair Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. It was a pretty good day for Australia yesterday. Great performance from Alexi Popperin. In a tricky match for Alex Dimonor, but he got through in four. And just looking at their next matches on paper, uh, they look pretty kind. They do. So they will both start favourites in those those matches, uh, particularly Demonor. But I, I think you know Popper needs to to be careful of this next matchup with um, with Ben Shelton. I, I think it is a, a going to be a tough match, um, and one that he needs to to not have that you know that let down spot after such a big moment and a big occasion, uh, because there is a big opportunity here for Alexi. He had such a disappointing 2022. He's come in here. He's, he's looked good in Adelaide. He's, he's you know managed to find his way through that first round where. You know, he was struggling a little bit. This is his chance now to be able to look at maybe the second week of, of a Grand Slam. And I think, you know, the, the work he's done with new coach Xavier Melise has, has certainly got him in, in good shape. And whatever whatever it is, that's working. But they need to make sure that they uh, stay locked in for this next match because it will be a little bit tricky. Tell us about Ben Shelton. Uh, there's a lot of Americans still left in the draw. They've got a lot of players in the top 100 at the moment. But I, I can't say I know much about Ben Shelton. Yeah, so until the start of this year, Ben Shelton had, had not left America to play tennis. Hmm. So he is a, a young American player, but played a lot of the challenger tournaments um, and, and really had a good run towards the end of 2022. So he is a, a, a tricky player, uh, has, a, has a solid serve and, and found his way through you know, his first couple of Grand Slam wins of, of his career as well. He is going to, to make life difficult, I think, for, for Popperin um, in, in in different ways, I think, to Fritz. But he is—he does have a little bit of more variety and power, and he's one to really keep an eye on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see in the next year or two if he comes to the Australian Open as a seeded player. Um, he, he is really one to watch. What about Alexander Zverev? Beaten by uh, Michael Moe yesterday, he's made a final of the US Open, twice the semifinals at the French, semifinalist here at the Australian Open. Will he win a Grand Slam, or is he going to be one of those players we look back on and, you know, you put him in that category, a really good player but never could quite break through at Grand Slam level. Yeah, I think with, with Alexander, it, it's it's a really tricky one because he was playing so well last year when he got to Roland Garros and, and ended up hurting his ankle mm. and, and we didn't see him for you know months and months and months. So it, it, it's it's a really tricky one where he probably hasn't taken his advantage, you know, hasn't taken advantage of his opportunities 
I think, to this point of his career. And now the next generation of players is coming through underneath him and it's making life really difficult for him. So I, I, I'm not too concerned, um, you know, based off the performances this week. It's, it's his first time really back at Grand Slam level uh, since his, his major injury. But he, he does have a lot of work to do if he really wants to make sure he's that player who you know, does have a Grand Slam to his name. What about Novak Djokovic? He says he's concerned by his hamstring, and uh, he, he told the press in Serbian, someone's uh, written this on Twitter, today the intensity of the pain worsened as the match went on, especially from the middle to the end of the second set. During the medical timeout, I went out went in, outside, I changed my bandage and took some medications. Is, how, is this going to stop him winning the tournament, potentially this hamstring, or as we've seen before, he still can find ways to win? I think that's the thing with with Novak in particular. You know, he has the ability to beat people when he's injured, and, and we saw that a couple of years ago. And <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I, I think he is still good enough to be able to challenge, you know, almost anyone on tour if he is at a level close to his best. But last night, if if that happened later in the tournament, it, it was going to be you know curtains for him. Third round matches are underway today. There's some really big names on both sides of the the draw in action. Uh, Can you just give us a couple of matches that uh, you're really looking at today? Uh, One that I'm really looking at first up is Yannick Sinner versus Martin Fucevic. I think he was one that um, was really, I'm really looking to be a a challenge for Sinner. You know, he's beaten him a couple of times before. So I think that's one that's really important. Um, you know, for, for Sinner, who's such a young player, to, to have a couple of losses under his belt at Grand Slam level is is a little bit concerning here. So, you know, Fuchovic is around the $7 mark, and I think he could really challenge here in in some capacity early on. Um, but I think if you look to the, the rest of the day, um, Daniil Medvedev, I think, is one who should win relatively strongly against Sebastian Korda later tonight. Um, I think he can smell the the blood in the water after what happened yesterday with a, a couple of big upsets and, and seeing Novak a little bit hampered. Just finally, what about the match between uh, Hatchinoff and Tiafo? That That's a really good match on paper. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a huge match and it's, it's going to be probably one of the more entertaining ones that we've seen across the entire Grand Slam today. Uh, he's, I, I think Tiafo is, is going to just have the edge, I think, in this one, if he can continue to maintain the level that he's been able to produce across the the month, I think it's going to be um, just Tiafo getting through there, but it should be a, a really close contest. Uh, it's all set up for a great second week. Uh, Steve, thanks for your time again. Hopefully when we chat again next week, uh, we're still talking about Alex Dimonor and Alexi Popper and in the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. Steve Quick from Ace Previews. Find better tennis odds at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Jam-packed final hour coming up. We're going to get over across to the States. Talk to Brandon Rabar from OKC. He covers the OKC Thunder. Josh Giddy flying at the moment. We're also going to talk to Josh Gabalich. And coming up after, straight after 11, Melbourne United CEO Nick Trulson. Welcome back to the Captain's Run. Big final hour coming up. Nick Trulson about to join us, Melbourne United CEO. Josh Gabalich will also talk some footy. And we're going to get over to the States and talk about Josh Giddy and the Oklahoma City Thunder with Brandon Rabar, who covers them, a beat writer for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But let's keep our basketball locally. Nick Trulson joins us from Melbourne United. G'day, Nick. G'day, Jules. Thanks for having me. Before we get stuck into the basketball, you're a big uh, sporting fan. I'm sure you would have uh, seen out the journey last night up until about quarter past four watching the tennis, I assume. 
I wasn't exactly, but I was definitely, uh, yeah, definitely loved seeing the result this morning. That didn't unfortunately go our way for Australia, but geez, what an amazing match! And the Australian Open is is back and and really thriving there in the precinct. Uh, when he returns to the court, Nick Kyrgios, do you still hope he wins, or given he's a uh, part owner of the other mob, do you hope he gets done? Oh no, we'd always want to see Aussies win on the on the big stage. So yeah, hopefully uh, he recovers well and, and gets back on the court soon. It's been a great turnaround from the club, uh, Nick, and you've you've got this long stretch of games on the road, but you keep picking up wins at the moment, and you've you've turned the season around. It's currently in seventh place, but thirteen and twelve. The break is the third, thirteen and ten. So it's been a great effort from the boys to dig in and and get these wins on the road and and really get the season back on track. It sure has. I mean, at five and ten, you know, we, we had lots of good discussions um, internally, and, and that also coincided with getting our full roster back together with Marcus Lee, of course, coming in, but also Shay Ely, who'd missed a lot of the season, um, and just being able to click the, the team together. And you know, XRM was on the on SEN earlier this morning talking a lot about that, just the camaraderie between the team, but the connections that they've now got, um, and to win eight of the last ten, it's been. Yeah, fantastic for everybody, and um, and you know our aim always is to uh, to make the playoffs, and and that's what we're focused on right now. But we have got three games, and we really need to win each each one of them starting tomorrow night in Adelaide. Yeah, so Adelaide, and then on the road again over in New Zealand, uh, where you won a short time ago. But uh, geez, the fans are clearly excited to get back home. February five against the thirty sixes, and there's not a seat left. Yeah, it's phenomenal for us and I think for the whole NBL, like you look across every capital city are just selling out. But to, to be sold out nearly three weeks in advance, I don't think, and I asked that internally, the question, outside of a playoff game, we've never sold out that quickly, um, which goes to show that there's a lot of interest in the game of basketball, but also um, in the style of play that we play. But uh, our members, fans and corporates have been unbelievable this year getting behind us. And, you know, we're up 30, 35% on crowds on the prior year and, yeah, I think for everybody um, coming out of COVID, it's great to see fans back across all arenas. I guess it's obviously, we're talking to Nick Trulson, uh, Melbourne United. So it's a challenge for your club because, you know, John Kane Arena is not available and you've got to get on the road for a while. Same with the Phoenix. And we saw it a little bit with the Wildcats as well when the United Cup was in Perth. But I guess it's a, it's a good challenge for the league right now, isn't it? You've got an Australian Open, you've got a BBL, you've got a lot of competition. But in terms of what you're saying, the crowds are still really strong. So the league is holding up even despite this really tough competition from other sports in January? Yeah, I mean, the Phoenix are playing out of the State Basketball Centre and they're getting full crowds as well. I think, you know, Melbourne comes alive. There's, I think people forget that there's 52 pro teams in Melbourne. <laughs> it's incredible, um, isn't so it? So it is a very, you know, with five and a half million people, the, the cluttered marketplace, probably not, nothing like it anywhere in the world. Um, and that's why it's such a great city to be playing in as part of and, and that's why we proudly wear Melbourne on our jersey. Just going back to an incident, it was a few weeks ago now, but in the game against the Taipans, and, and their coach was pretty strong on the treatment uh, Keanu Pinder was receiving. The club wasn't happy with it. You, you put out a statement at the time. It's, where's that sort of been left? Have, have you had discussions with Cairns? Was there discussions with the league? How did that all sort of settle down? Well, I think we all moved on pretty quickly from that. Um, you know, being asked in press conferences, of course, people you know, talk about certain things. And I think from our point of view, we just wanted to uh, put out our own statement more around standing up for one of our players, uh, two of our players who we just didn't think um, were put in the right um, light. And, and so we just put it out there, but moved on straight away and, and focus on the next game. So, yeah, that's, uh, we've, we've forgotten about that and, and looking forward to the 36s tomorrow. The league as a whole, it's been 
a very tight season. We've been sort of saying that apart from the Bullets and the Hawks, and then you see the Bullets win two games this weekend and the Hawks go over to New Zealand and win last night. So in terms of a, a, an exciting, even competition where anything can happen, um, this would be one of the best seasons we've had for a while. Yeah, I think when you look at it, Illawarra have only won three games, but gee, they've been in five or six games where they could have won as well. So I think, um, yeah, the league, when you talk about any given Sunday concept, you know, the NBL are really under that and their whole branding campaign around being an unrivaled side of things, I think is really coming to the fore. And, you know, when you look at it, the next, you know, we were going through all the, the different ramifications of winning versus losing. Uh, nearly every game has an impact on where we finish. So, we just have to play our part. We know that we've got three games that we have to win all of them, and that's sort of been our mentality for the last three weeks. But, yeah, as a game in itself and, and with the, the calibre of players that each team have got, um, it's exciting of where the future of basketball is here in Australia. We see the play-in system for the first time this year in the NBL. Do you like it? I mean, I seem to think the more games that mean something late in the season, the better it is for the sport, probably easier for clubs to sell tickets and, and more eyeballs on the sport. Do you see it? that way? Yeah, I must admit, when it first came out, I wasn't so sure, but uh, of course, we're loving the the opportunity right now because it keeps us alive in it. But when you look at it this year, there could be four teams on 15 wins vying for those those spots. So I think, you know, when you look at it, um, not it might not work out that well every year, but I think it, it definitely keeps things alive. And, um, you know, from eighth all the way up to third spots. So, you know, I think it's a great concept. I think it will, you know, when you look at how well it's worked over in the US. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, you know, hats off to the NBL. I think it's going to be a great concept bringing in. Nick, just a question here off our 40 Winks uh, temper text. You mentioned how, you know, the crowds are up significantly this year for Melbourne United. I've just got a question here from Ben saying, will there ever be a time you think you'll you'll play a match or some matches at Rod Laver Arena? Maybe, you know, sort of big finals or if, if the team's really humming along. Is, is that something that will ever be an option again, do you think? I definitely think it'd be a great angels. Like, you know, you look at the the great old days yeah. of the early nineties, seeing a packed, you know, Rod Rod Laver Arena, which was of course a different name back then, but you know, to see that full with fifteen thousand. There are some different parts to it. I mean, John Kane is such a great setup for our corporate side, but also for our members. But I think, you know, there could be an opportunity as our rivalry continues to grow with South East Melbourne Phoenix that maybe a throwdown in the in the future could be there and, and see how it goes. But being part of that precinct, it's something that we would love to explore at some stage. And I think that will be a great um, show of how big the game's grown if we can get to that stage where we could have a sold-out Rod Laver Arena. Tough first half of the season, as you mentioned. And, and look, you're not in the finals yet. As you say, you've got three really big games to come. Was, was there ever a time in the season you thought, mm, I just don't think it's going to happen this year? I, I, I just don't think we can make finals? Or did you, as a club, sort of never lose belief in, in what the team was trying to do? Oh, I think we always kept that faith in the knowing the fact that if we could get healthy, um, that we could make a really good run at it. And I think with 28 games, it probably provides you with that opportunity, unlike some other codes where there might not be as many games. Um, we've been able to um, time our run to perfection and, and hopefully knowing that we still have to win the three games to, to make sure we qualify. But, um, yeah, I, we never lost belief. I think the fact, too, Melbourne has such a great tradition of, you know, winning two of the last five championships and always being up there, thereabouts in the finals. And I think, you know, we pride ourselves on wanting to be there and, you know, we didn't want to not be part of this series. So I think that's been a really good driving force within the team. 
How does it work during this time of the year? I mean, it's not a first. It's been happening for years for, for Melbourne United. It's not affecting your basketball. Four wins in a row on the road. But is there, do you sneak back to Melbourne from time to time? How are the players, how do they cope with, you know, such long periods uh, on the road at this time of the year? Yeah, I think it worked for us really well last year. I think we, you know, we won nearly all of our games on the road last year at the same time. So I think that's been a good thing to be able to lean back on um, but we also know that, you know, in between games, and right now we're quite lucky in the fact that each of our last three games are a week apart. So we do have the five days back in Melbourne, back at Hoop City, at our training facility where we can just zone in. Uh, players get and coaches and staff get to spend time still with their families. It's been like, okay, like this afternoon, let's get back to Melbourne Airport um, and it's, uh, it's another mission for us. And so far, so good. Um, but, yeah, the 36ers are going to be really desperate tomorrow night after losing last night. Um, they can't afford to lose from now on in as well. So, um, as I said, it's a, it's a huge game for us. You know, great rivalry with Adelaide. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get back on the plane. Um, we win number 14 um, with two to go. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a huge weekend for us. Nick, it's been a great fight back. And who knows, that sold-out game on February 5th, everything could be to play for. Uh, good luck in the next couple, and uh, well done on selling that game out so quickly. Uh, we look forward to hopefully another United win on the weekend. Jules, thanks for all the support. Look forward to it, and, uh, yeah, look forward to speaking to you soon. Nick Trulson, Melbourne United CEO. It's been a great fight back from United. All sorts of problems at the start of the year, losing games, imports weren't working, but uh, they have turned it around, and they're right back in the mix as we get down to the business end of the NBL. NBA, we're about halfway through the season. Okay, see, you're back in business. They're in the playoff hunt. Josh Giddy's playing as well as he ever has. So let's get over to the States after the beat after the break. Brandon Rabar is a beat writer for OKC. We'll chat to him about the Thunder and Josh Giddy's form after the break. Right here on the Captain's Run for State Transport, our people are your solution. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech driver Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel All Wheel Drive. Mornings on SEN. Oh, this city will be in full-on footy mode once the tennis is done and dusted uh, next weekend. I like the sound of this, and uh, not just because it's Essendon, but any club at this time of the year. This tweet, fair to say Mason Redmond is taking training very seriously, niggling and elbowing Jake Stringer in the back as his defender, which wasn't well received, to say the least, by Jake. Fight broke out, which players had to separate the two. Not moon condoning fighting. We like competitiveness at training. Brad Scott, calmly watch on us. We welcome... Josh Gablich to the show, afl.com.au. Josh, uh, Liam Stocker, you reported the news this morning that he's got a chance. He's been signed by the Saints. I'm not quite sure we know how good a player Liam Stocker is yet. What sort of role do you think Ross Lyon will, will have him penciled in for at the Saints? Good morning, Jules. Good to be with you. Yes, we've got another SSP, number six of the <laughs> off-season, pre-season. Plenty to talk about in that space. But Liam Stocker gets... Another opportunity. He's been down there since December 5, since they went back for the pre-season. And he's obviously impressed to the point where they've pulled the trigger earlier than expected. So they've they've locked him in for the year. And in terms of role, I think we'll see him across half-back, whether that's at AFL or VFL level. I've seen him do a couple of match simulation sessions. I think we'll get a better indication in the next few weeks when they really ramp up these match sim and get into the practice matches in late Feb. But I think a roll across half-back, I mean, they're pretty well stocked there when you yeah. think about Jack Sinclair's coming off a sensational season where he became an All-Australian and the best and first winner for the first time. They've got Jimmy Webb, so they've got heaps of 
types in that spot. Ben Patton, Dan McKenzie, all those sorts of types. But he's got an opportunity. So that's what he was after. I mean, I think a lot of people were surprised when he was delisted in September last year. And even more were surprised when he didn't get picked up as a DFA and got overlooked in the national draft and the rookie draft. So I think a lot of not only St Kilda supporters, but Carlton supporters are quite interested when the news broke this morning. And I think we'll hear from him in about... Half an hour or 45 yeah. minutes. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing what he's got to say because he's been quite open about the mental health challenges he's he has. faced since he was delisted. So I think it's going to be a, a press conference worth listening, listening to. Absolutely. Just got one here from Dom off our 40 Winks uh, tempo. He said, I'm not there, but people at Arden Street watching Matt Sim have noticed the following delisted free agents uh, involved. Ben Davis, Connor Downey, Nick Stevens, Louis Butler. Um, have they got an SSP stop North Melbourne or are they just more likely VFL recruits? They've used all their SSP spots. So they used the last one on Liam Shields at yep. the start of the window on December 5. But I believe some of them, and maybe all four of them, have, have signed with North's VFL program. I think they've been quite active looking at some mature age talent to play in the VFL. So a lot of clubs at the moment. I mean, I was out at Hawthorne yesterday. and Cal Brown was training with the main group at, at Hawthorne. They've had Patrick Nace train across the summer as well. So a lot of clubs are are topping up with two or three from their VFL program. But, yeah, North don't have a spot at the moment because they've taken Liam Shields. So Tyler Brown, as you reported earlier in the week, uh, stitched up by the Crows under the SSP. How many more are you expecting uh, to get their opportunities in this period? We know probably the one we're, one we're really interested in is Quinton Arkle down at Richmond. But how many others around the competition or how many other clubs do you think will fill a spot before that SSP is over? Well, I'd expect Collingwood to, to fill a spot. I mean, they're looking at Oleg Markov and Oscar Steen. I mean, Oscar Steen probably makes more sense because he's a Ruckman, 19-year-old who was overlooked in the draft. They've only got really three Ruckman on their list at the moment with Darcy Cameron, Mason Cox and Aidan Begg. So I don't know how they're going to go with that. I mean, there's obviously a lot of interest in Oleg Markov because he was a surprise delisting at the end of last year as well. And he was coached by Craig McRae and Justin Lethbridge during all five of his years at Punt Road. So that'd be one to watch. Quinton Narkle, as you said, is is obviously probably the biggest name that's trolling at a club at the moment. But the one that came up this week, Jules, which which interests me, is Dara Joyce, who's gone up yes. to Brisbane. Delisted, obviously, last August from St Kilda after six seasons. And they, they went and got Connor McKenna. They beat a lot of clubs to get Connor McKenna and signed him by the SSP in December. Now they're looking at Dara Joyce and... Obviously, they're looking at him because Marcus Adams mm. was moved to the inactive list on Monday. And I think there's a real fear now that Marcus Adams won't play AFL again. There's some real concerns yeah. around his health and his fitness and just his quality of life at the moment. And, and Dara Joyce could be that player that comes in as some security. I mean, he's had some interest in other clubs in the past. I know Gold Coast had a really good look at him back in 2021 and he just didn't quite stick under Brett Ratton. So maybe he gets another opportunity. So that'd be one to keep an eye on. Rio Jules, I'm not too sure if you're a TikToker. I hope you're not, given your age and you've got a couple of young kids. But oh, hey, 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 easy on the age thing, my man. But no, I'm not a TikToker. I'm not a TikToker. You would be, though, young and hip no, like yourself. No, no, no. I mean, I have a browse from time to time, but I'm not on TikTok. But there is a TikTok sensation trolling at Fremantle right now, Jules. What do you mean a 100... TikTok sensation? We're not recruiting blokes off TikTok now, are we? No, no. They're, they're looking at him for his football prowess, but... I was told they had a, a contract to go across to Sydney for a marketing opportunity in December, but Fremantle came and invited him to train. So he knocked that marketing opportunity on, on the head. This is Sam Stubbs. He's a 25-year-old who played in the Waffle for Perth. He's a forward. There's a, there's a, he's really raw, really raw. Hasn't played too much state league football, but 
David Walls hasn't been afraid to go to the state leagues. We saw him go and get Corey Wagner in November. He got Liam Reedy, a ruckman out of Frankston. So just keep an eye on this one. They've got one spot. Liam Strong, the brother of Caleb Strong, is also trialling for that spot. So one to keep an eye on. But Sam Stubbs, TikTok sensation, trialling for an SSP spot. <laughs> that sums up 2023, where we're at uh, these days. Thought to Josh from au. Now, I don't like reading things verbatim off the screen, Josh, but uh, Ben Lyon, this is from our producer. About so you've been you know had a look at Melbourne. This is what he's written. Tell us all how good Jacob Van Ruin is and how he will tear the competition apart this year. That is word for word. Gee, there's a lot of hype about this young kid. I know we've got to be careful with the hype. This guy hasn't played an AFL game just yet. But uh, I was down there on Wednesday. It was pouring rain, and there's a reason to be excited around Jacob Van Ruin. I mean, there is just something about him. I mean, pick nineteen. 12 months ago, didn't quite break through for a game late last season. And there were calls to play this guy because yeah. his former coach, he was, was really impressive. Kicked 36 goals. He had a bag of six one day and a bag of five. But there were some concerns around his conditioning last year. And he's gone away in the off-season and pre-season and, and really improved his his running. And he's, he's added a few kilos. So just keep an eye on him. I mean, you can't expect him to come in and, and, and play every week in just his second season as a key forward. But Go and watch him and match him at the moment. He's really exciting. Tom McDonald's come back, so there's going to be a, a real battle for some key position spots in that forward line because they really struggled there last year. I mean, Tom McDonald missed the second half of the year with that Liz Frank injury. He's only just come back into full training. And Ben Brown didn't have a great year. So they got rid of Sam Wiedemann. Josh Shackey's come in. It's going to be a fascination. But if I'm a Melbourne supporter, long-term, I'd be very excited about Jacob. So he's not John Coleman. He's not going to come out and kick 12 in his first game as some Melbourne fans seem to think. I think we've just got to be realistic on this guy. I mean, he's 19 tools, but I, I would be excited. I mean, his form at VFL level in his debut season was great, and he's really built across the summer. So I'm looking forward to see how he goes in the practice matches, but I'll be keeping an eye on round one with him because I think he's definitely in the frame right now, but it is only January 20. We've had a few Melbourne fans uh, throughout the summer, and I know that have thrown up the idea of Petty going forward. I mean, he did it really late in the final, took a good mark, kicked the goal. From what you've seen, is he just locked in as a defender again, or is that some sort of option for Melbourne this year to just just try and spark that forward line up a little bit? At this stage, I believe he's going to play in defence. That's what I've been told. I mean, they've obviously got May and Lever down there with Petty. I think the belief is that they'll use Petty as a key defender. And who knows, if, if Jacob Van Ruin comes in and plays, they've sort of solved that problem a little bit with, with him alongside a McDonald and a Ben Brown, he can probably play all three. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But Adam Tomlinson's up and, and he's flying. We can't forget him. He obviously yep. was coming off an ACL, didn't get a really good look at it last year, was stuck in the VFL for a large part of the year, but he's going really well. So they've actually got a lot of options in defence. So it's going to be fascinating what they do because they need to find a key forward, I think, Jules. Ben Brown was the leading goalkeeper in terms of the keys last year. He only kicked 30 goals. So Ben Bailey Fritchin. And Cozzy Pickett, not much else. So it's going to be one to watch. Just a couple before I let you go. Uh, Hawthorne, uh, the ruck battle's interesting. I, I really like Ned Reeves as a player, but he obviously had that serious shoulder injury. And they've brought in Lloyd Meek, who has come in to play more senior football. Who, who would have their nose in front there, do you think? Well, Ned Reeves has just come back from a shoulder reconstruction. So he's only a couple of weeks back into the main program. But Lloyd Meek has made a, a really impressive start to his time at Hawthorne. I know it's only... Mid-Jan, but looking forward to seeing how they go in, in some more matches. I watched them trade out at Latrobe Uni yesterday and it was a, a really good good contest. Max Lynch is the other one, but I think 
Sam Mitchell hasn't been afraid to play two ruckmen, so they could potentially play play both. Obviously, one of them is going to have to get the the lion's share of the the ruck percentage. But I think Lloyd Meek, when you go and get someone, and there's six, seven, eight clubs, I think that were really chasing his signature, and they did go down the deadline. It was one of the last deals. I think it was the last deal with Jay Gromier with a couple of minutes to spare in the trade period. But I think when you're selling a player and he comes in and has a really good pre-season, you're going to have to give him a really good look. So I think he would be in front at this stage, but there's still a fair bit to play out. We'll have to wait to see how they go in the, in the match team across February, heading into round one. Yeah, I know Jared Healy's a, a big fan of uh, Lloyd Meek. Um, the D- Bulldogs, where's Adam Trelaw at? Well, a little bit of a concern, Jules. I mean, there is still two months to go between now and their first game of the season against Melbourne, but he hasn't trained with the main group yet. He had ankle surgery back in September. He had a little ankle issue that was sort of nagging away in the second half of last season. There was a hope he'd almost be back to full training by now, but it's just dragging a little bit. So I think we'll know a bit more in the next week or two around him, and there could be some concern around his availability for round one, but there's still enough time. But the worry is when you miss so much of the pre-season, you're playing catch-up, mm. aren't you? So just a one to watch. Hopefully he gets back, but he didn't train when I was down there out of Braybrook on Monday. But the good one was Sam Darcy back, Jules. He obviously didn't train any of last year's pre-season, missed the pre-Christmas block, but he's back with the main group. So that's a big one because I think he's a real chance of the rising star when you think he's still eligible. Yeah. Those four games late in the year. So he'll be one to watch heading into the round one. Exciting talent. Do you think he plays back again this year? I think so. I think it's going to be one of the good talking points in terms of selection heading into round one is what they do down back because they obviously went and got Liam Jones as a free agent. Alex Keith was in and out of the team late in the year. Ryan Gardner's become a lock. Mm. Josh Bruce is trialling in defence at the moment. He's gone back to where he started his AFL career. So, interesting to see what they do with Sam Darcy. I mean, he, he looked great when he played down there, but he also spent a little bit of time forward in round 23. And I think in that final against Freo, he spent a little bit of time forward. So, it's interesting to see what they do. Mate, they've finally got some, some yeah. real depth at either end with Rory Lobb coming in and Jamara showing some promise last year. So, it used to be their midfield that was stack to the brim, I think that's now a little bit weaker with Lockie Hunter and Josh Dunkley coming out, but their key posts at their end are, are really imposing. Just quickly, on Lockie Hunter, what have you noticed with him down at D's training this summer? Well, I watched him go toe-to-toe with Ed Langdon on a wing in about 40 minutes of match sim on Wednesday, and, and he, he got plenty of it, so he's missed a few sessions so far in the season. It's a bit of a flu going through some clubs in, in bits and pieces, I think. I don't think it's COVID. It's not COVID, but there's just a little bit of illness. So he missed a couple of sessions, but he looked pretty good on Wednesday. So they, they, they obviously identified a spot on the wing that they needed to address. That's why they were so into Carl Amon heading into the trade period. And they missed out on him to Hawthorne, obviously. But Lockie Hunter, I mean, this guy's the best at Ferris Widow. We can't forget that. That was only a couple of years ago. He's had some on-field and off-field issues. So if he can get himself right, I think he could come in and play pretty critical role for them and they've already got one of the best wingers of the comp in Ed Langdon so if Lockie Hunter can get back to his best they're going to have an, an awesome wing combination Josh uh, comprehensive as always have a great weekend and I'm sure we'll touch base again next week sounds great Jules chat soon Josh Gablich from afl.com.au Red Energy owned by Snowy Hydro a leader in renewable energy switch to 100% Aussie owned Red Energy